What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. We're talking with Dr. Sarah Duval, and we're discussing incontinence in female athletes. I am your host, Jeremy Jackson. I'm also joined by Kate Miller. She's got a lot of experience with uh, fitness, with uh, pelvic floor stuff, and so she's going to talk about that. Uh, she's going to be acting again as a co-host and then joining us again as we're uh, in the female athlete series. And so this episode of the Sports Medicine Broadcast is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash incontinence. Again, incontinence. If you can't spell it, then Google it and then copy and paste that at the end of sportsmedicinebroadcast.com. So without much further ado, Dr. Duval has been practicing for 19 years. She owns Core Exercise Solution. Again, I'll have the link to that in the show notes, but uh, she's owner there, creator of courses, continuing education courses, um, great opportunity for athletic trainers to grow. And well, one of the great reasons that I wanted to, to have Dr. Duvall, I actually had Kate uh, contact Dr. Duvall is because this isn't something I normally deal with in my athletic training career, something I normally deal with in my athletic training uh, CEU sessions. But if I want to grow, then I need to reach outside of what is normal, what is comfortable. So hopefully uh, you, the listeners, join in along with me as we're learning even just a little bit about incontinence as it may apply to you personally, maybe a friend, coworker, or possibly one of your athletes. So Dr. Duvall, start us off with defining incontinence. Well, first, I hate the word incontinence. I feel like when we're talking to athletes and especially even athletes on the younger side, this is, it's a big big issue. Um, first of all, I feel like when people say I don't have incontinence, I'm like, okay, do you have incontinence? They're like, no, no, I don't have incontinence. That's something that happens to old people that have to buy diapers. I have a little bit of leaking. And that is usually how they describe it. So when you throw around the word incontinence, I think the majority of people are going to immediately like, I don't have incontinence. What's I don't even you know, know what that is. Uh, so I think clarifying that just language when we're talking to our athletes is really important and being able to bring it down to something that they might be able to identify with, because that's kind of a big, scary word that I think people assign to people over the age of 80, you know, uh, do you agree? I mean, that's Kate, do you agree with that? I, <laughs> I completely agree. And it's funny because I mean, uh, incontinence is not inevitable with age necessarily, but it's not something that has to come with age. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's definitely one of those things that is misconstrued and misunderstood. And female athletes actually get them almost as often as the geriatric, if not more than the geriatric population. So the statistics actually say they, the, they're about the same in mm -hmm. terms of how many people get it or experience it. And so I definitely think that it's incredibly common and it's incredibly common among all ages of our young athletes to our older athletes and older being a relative term here. <laughs> it, it, it's something that you don't have to have a baby to experience. So I think that's important to get out. So we're not talking postpartum here. I treated a 14 year old uh, earlier this year um, who only had leaking issues during racing. Um, which is, I think, something that we also need to think about that's considered normal for when we push those limits and we're really going all out. Um, and then what can be done in those kind of all out uh, times. So I guess to define the word, it would be leaking urine or feces, but more common is urine, especially among these athletes that are just going really hard. Um, so that would be my definition. And it can be just a tiny bit or it can be a lot. It can be when you're exhausted. It can be you know, when you're having maybe hip pain, pelvic floor tightness. Um, so that would be the simple definition. 
And there's so many kinds of incontinence too. I mean, I, we don't have to go into, you know, a, you and I both know there's a lot of kind, types of incontinence and there's mixed, but I don't know, it might be good to mention like the different kinds, like athletes typically have the stress of the urge or mixed, which is kind of a combination of both versus overactive bladder or something like that. I don't know if you want to touch upon the- sure, Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I consider when you, when you say different kinds, it's almost like when I think about an athlete, they're in just completely different ballparks as far as the urge incontinence and the stress incontinence. Um, and so urge incontinence is when you know, you're on your way home and you turn into your driveway and all of a sudden you feel like I'm not going to make it to the bathroom. And I think so many women can identify with that feeling from, you know, a, a variety of ages or you get to the front door and you're like holding your key and like, I can't make it in. That's the most common one I hear from women or they're walking through the grocery store and they see the bathroom sign and then they're like, I immediately have to go. And I had no idea I had to go. So that is urge incontinence where you get this overwhelming urge to uh, use the restroom and it might or might not be associated with leaking. So some women have some leaking with it and some women don't. Uh, and so stress incontinence is when you think about stressing your bladder physically and then you leak urine. So one is more of a, um, I don't want to call it a mental training thing because our bladder is very trainable. So one is training of the bladder and one is training of the muscle structure. If that's kind of a good way to look at it. Yeah. So our bladder is one of the most trainable things that we have in our body and it has different signals so when it's you know half full it sends us a signal to say hey i'm half full and or a quarter full and three-fourths full and then like you better find a bathroom now because i'm completely full and we don't want to get a stretched out bladder so if you're not going to the restroom like every four hours i would say i would start going because <laughs> that can also be a big deal you know you're going to classes you're working you're um you're just stretching yourself thin um, and so you're not using the restroom as much as you should. That can also be a big problem for the detrusor muscle, for the bladder. Uh, so I just wanted to point that out because I think so many women look back on that later and they're like, oh, I wish I would have actually peed more. Um, we talk about, you know, not having to pee too much, but there is the opposite thing to think about for, um, for training our bladder. That's really helpful. Um, so yeah, so I would, I would think that, um, where was I on this on this Stress yeah. so, so that would be urgent continence where your bladder sends a signal. And then the more frequently you go to the restroom, the more you train your bladder. So let's say you start going like just in case pee. I've got to leave the house. I'm just in case I'm going to go ahead and pee. Then your bladder gets a signal like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to pee when I'm only 20 percent full. That's how she's training me. And you do that enough days in a row, which it doesn't take very long. I think it, for me, at least in most of the women that I work with, it takes about three days to retrain your bladder. <laughs> so if you think about it from perspective of like having the need to pee and trying to push that urge incontinence, um, it takes about, it, at least for most people, it takes about three days. So you retrain it pretty quickly. So think about that. If you just went an hour ago and you're going to do a just in case pee, maybe wait. And instead of going, you know, um, at your house before leaving, wait and go at the gym when you get there or the workout room. Or do you see what I'm saying? So like if you can push it off 20 minutes, if you know it's only been an hour, then that's a handy thing to do. The urge thing, it's actually very interesting that you said that because like I'll go run and whenever I'm running, I'll be like two miles from the house. And so then I'm like, all right, well, I, could just, I, you know, I need to go to the bathroom, but I'm just keep running. But then once I get like to my driveway, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go like right <laughs> now. 
And so like, it's like, okay, like I understand there is a other people that deal with something similar and it's not just, just me. That's crazy. So. Well, and your water is probably full at that point. You like, you've legitimately probably just really need to go. (laughs) Possibly. There's there's a really strong psychosomatic connection between the bladder and your brain too, which is like a whole nother topic. But, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, stress is different. That usually happens with an incident and muscular Mm -hmm. in comparison to what Sarah kind of said before is a more mental, um, component to it. Yeah. So the urge is a little bit more mental, um, whether that's bladder training or brain training. And then the stress incontinence is more how your muscle is functioning. So you can have both tightness, weakness and weakness and tightness. And then just a pressure problem, because sometimes I'll have people that actually have adequate strength, but they're just managing pressure in their abdomen so poorly um, that they're bearing down with everything they have. And that's causing the stress incontinence as well. I think the the most interesting th- thing that I learned one in one of your courses too, but how you know most people when you think of leaking, at least I did before I was educated properly, was oh I must have a weak pelvic floor. Well, mm-hmm. I'm actually the opposite. I have an extreme. I have a very tight. I'm a gripper. I'm mm-hmm. a sucker rider. I'm a gripper. Um, I was using the wrong cues, sucking in with my belly button to my back. You know everything, and so the pressure was just all over the over the place in what you call a canister in your in your course. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that would be a great thing just to briefly go over because, like I said, the first thing that comes to mind, even with my patients that come in, they're like, I must have a weak pelvic floor. I'm going to do Kegels all the time. I'm like, no, that can actually make it worse. Let's review. Let's review what's going on first. Sometimes that's exactly what they need, but oftentimes that definitely can make them worse, which you'll find out pretty quickly (laughs) whether or not that's the solution because only they get better or worse within like the first week of, of working on it. So when we talk about pressure, basically pressure is our ability to keep our spine still. Okay, it's kind of how I like to think about it. So if you've ever had somebody go to punch you in the stomach, you're going to generate pressure to not let that happen. If you're going to pick up, you know, you're going to max out on deadlifts, you're going to create a lot of pressure to not have your spine bend a lot as you're trying to bring the bar up, right? So does that make sense on what creating pressure in your intra-abdominal cavity means? Or you guys, do you, do you think that's simplified enough? Okay, so when we increase pressure, if we're not very good at managing that pressure, it can come out in a variety of ways. It can come out as hernias, and that really affects the guys as well as the ladies. So it can come out as hernias. Women just have a little bit more of a vulnerable pelvic floor because we have to get out babies. And so our pelvic floor opening is a little bit bigger and for bony support. And so when you increase pressure, you can increase pressure down. Um, And so we can control how we direct pressure, which is a crazy concept um, because a lot of people don't really feel in control of that. But that is the cool thing about working with athletes is with a little bit of really good cueing, you can get them managing that pressure better. And then that can stop the leaks. It can decrease their risk of prolapse and it can help their pelvic floor issues. So pressure is basically just where the stress is leaving the system. Everything starts with breathing. <laughs> I think I've learned that, especially quite recently, um, after having a baby and now being pregnant again. Um, mm-hmm. Breathing affects so much of the body, and a lot of that pressure comes from improper breathing techniques and that downward pressure on the, the pelvic floor. Because you're right, it has to go somewhere, whether it causes a hernia, diastasis, or or whatever the case. Um, I know there's a lot of things that kind of play into where that pressure goes to, like posture. Um, mm-hmm. or the type of the type of athletics that the athlete might be into. 
maybe a CrossFitter is going to be completely different than someone who does yoga, but yoga can still cause, you know, hypertonicity of the pel pelvic floor. Oh, and yoga can cause crazy pressure problems too. I think that, I mean, transitions can be really hard. Um, and I think holding poses and going into stuff that's above your ability level or above your ability level to comfortably handle. So then we can spread that across every sport. Where is the line of what you can do really well with control? And then what is the line of what you can get away with? And those lines often don't equal up. And so I know from being an athlete in numerous sports, it's a, you want to go as hard as you can and you want to win and you want to be the best. And so you're going to push that envelope as far as you can. And that doesn't necessarily mean your pelvic floor is keeping up. Exactly. So that that's a great point. So these athletes that have otherwise, like think of your epic athlete that has an overall perfect posture, perfect physique, mm -hmm. their systems are running them high, VO2 max is great, their diaphragmatic breathing is great. Okay, well, then they push themselves during a marathon or doing a competition or something like that. And all of a sudden, they start to leak. Well, their pelvic floor might be uh, public floor might be great at normal or even during mm -hmm. some training. But when they max out their their, their, um, what they're doing, whether that's in a competition or whatever, their pelvic floor just can't keep up. And so something, something's going to uh, bend, break, mm -hmm. give essentially. Well, and think about it as they're exceptional in lots of muscles in their body. I mean, just exceptional, like far and beyond the average person, but then they might have average pelvic floor strength because it's not something they've really trained or worked on. So I'm not a huge fan of vaginal weights or holding kegels for a long period of time. But in the really athletic population, I feel like sometimes that type of training is necessary for the pelvic floor to keep up. And I'm a very natural person, you know that. <laughs> but I think sometimes we're we're pushing in so many different levels um, to so many different degrees, and you've got to step it up, especially if somebody doesn't have a natural tendency toward pelvic floor strength. Maybe they're postpartum. Maybe they had some tearing during delivery, which then leaves them more vulnerable to injury, which means their muscles have to, you know, be stronger to pick up the slack. All right. right so, any so let me go right here real quick. So we've talked about the athletes. The You, you mentioned a 14-year-old athlete that you've treated that she only has the leakage when she's in races. And I, I guess define normal what – me in the secondary setting, what I should expect to to see or, you know, like maybe the statistics, what is normal for, for my athletes? And then what, what would be, I guess, where would we go from there? Because we've talked about a lot of different possibilities and issues and things yeah. like that. So. so normal would probably be someone wearing a light pad and never mentioning it. Okay. If, if that's is that the answer you were looking for? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not going to be like, oh, everybody's going to start coming to me now talking about, hey, I pee myself, right? Yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, it, 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 I think there are some coaches where the women feel really comfortable talking to them, and I'm amazed, like cross country teams, where the coach is like, I know too much. It's like, no, you don't know enough. <laughs> like, if your girls are having this conversation with you, you need to learn more about how to help them because you're the one making their training programs. Right. There was a study recently done where um, they took all, I don't know how many exactly, but a very large study with high school athletes and college athletes and a range of 25 to 28% of them had incontinence mm -hmm. during the activity. So they didn't have it when they were, you know, walking around the mall with their friends or sitting in class, but during athletic performance, over a quarter of them suffered from it and 
even a smaller percentage reported it to their coaches, whether they were male, female, it's just not the easiest thing to necessarily talk about. Um, and if you're joking around with your friends, you might think it's normal. So it just becomes one of those things like CrossFit normalized where, oh, and I, you know, you know, max out day, everybody pees. Like if you're not peeing, you're not trying hard enough. So then it becomes this thing that's like, oh, I tried hard. So therefore, um, you know, muscles in my body failed, which, you know, to some degree that can happen and can almost be normal. But then I, as a, as a physical therapist, I'm going to like, well, you know, if a muscle system is failing, like what if your delt started failing? What if your serratus started failing? If your serratus started failing, you're probably going to end up with shoulder impingement and shoulder pain. And we're going to need to address that. And so I think if we look at it more in the context of like some failure could be normal if all your muscles aren't keeping up uh, with where you're at, we still want to address it because there are things that we can do. Okay. So if I have that situation to where I have an athlete or, you know, maybe they come talk to Sophia, she's my coworker here. Um, and they say, Hey, do you have a pad or something like that? And, you know, we get that because it's high school, they forget their stuff, but maybe, you know, she happens to ask, is it period related or is it like leakage? So then how do we have that conversation and where do we go? Yeah, so I've, I've actually gotten the opportunity to work with several male coaches, which has been incredible. And my takeaway from that is if you're comfortable, they're comfortable because there's a lot of male doctors that deliver babies and they're obese and they're comfortable and women are comfortable talking to them. So I think as the coach, you just kind of have to own that. Pretend you're talking about their shoulder. Pretend you're asking them if their shoulder hurts when they scratch their back. You know, that wouldn't be something that you would even think twice about. I mean, obviously, you're going to be really respectful um, and you're going to want, you know, another woman in the room with you. I know there's a lot of, you know, um, legality, especially with that kind of topics with being, you know, you know better than I do and can probably talk a little bit about that. Um, but I would just have that conversation with them open and just say, this is, this is a really common thing. There's stuff we can do. And you know what? It might not even be related to your pelvic floor muscles. Did you know there are a set of muscles just like any other muscles in your body? Um, and they need to be strong and they need to be functioning well. And you know how your neck gets really tight when you're hunching forward, you know, stressed out about whatever, then your pelvic floor can also get like that which can then cause this type of dysfunction. And then I would probably have a really good, um, you know, pelvic floor PT if it's to that point. If it's something that's really minor, you might be able to just run through an assessment and figure out what's going on and where to go. Um, the girl that I was referring to, we ended up actually fixing her arch strength and that fixed her problem. Um, so basically you just look at what your weakest point is and then what's getting overloaded and it's often not the point, it's not the fault of the pelvic floor, is what I found in a lot of people that are actually decently strong and have just like good natural strength. Um, she just, she had almost no push off from her feet and arches and her calves. And so she was in a really quad dominant pattern. Um, she didn't have a whole lot of glute strength either. And so she ended up with just tremendous pressure in her lower abdominals, trying to sustain her, um, level of, you know, running speed. And so once we addressed her foot and calf strength, and then address her glute strength, her pelvic floor issue completely resolved without ever looking at the pelvic floor. Um, which, you know, and somebody that young, she didn't, she wasn't like, oh, I've got piriformis syndrome. And oh, I've got, you know, they, that, that takes a long, you know, that seems to take a little bit more time of overuse, but it was coming out in that weakest point. So I think 
you know, being able to just scan somebody and look at their overall musculoskeletal, they might not be telling you they're leaking, but you might be able to find other areas to improve that might solve the problem. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and I, I'm going to mention your course again. You were talking about arches and then, I mean, if you think about the human body, it's all connected. I'm a big Thomas Myers fan and the anatomy trains and um, fascial connections and whatnot. And you're right, just because it's like um, if you have shoulder pain, for example, you know, it may not be the shoulder that's causing that pain. That's just where the pain is presenting. When you have a crime, say pain is a crime. It's not the criminal that's going to be screaming, hear me, hear me. It's the victim, right? So mm -hmm. if you think about the body that way, you know, it the 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 leakage might be more of a symptom of something else or a consequence of something else. Um, mm -hmm. So to kind of go back to your to your question, Jeremy, treat it like any other muscle, like any other health question, like any other. I mean, it's a component of the entire body system. And if, like she said, if you're comfortable, they're going to be comfortable because they're going to they're going to reflect um, your response or at least your approach. And you might, you know, change their life because a lot of women, especially younger girls, don't ever think about their pelvic floor muscles. And so then they get older and I'm I'm asking them to connect in a rehab type setting. And and they're like, well, I've never thought about my pelvic floor. So if you bring it in the context of like here are muscles, we need them to function, then that can be helpful long term as well. Right. Especially for runners, because the pelvic floor is I mean, I say running. There's a lot of sports that involve running, but. The pelvic floor is so connected to your inner core, your deep core. Mm -hmm. You can't run with a proper, properly supported spine without a strong or at least efficient core. So if you just think about the pelvic floor as kind of a connector to that to start with, that might help introduce it a little bit easier than just throwing out the word pelvic. Or side <laughs> joint pain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so let me throw out just a, like a little rabbit hole that we can go down that everyone might find a little interesting. I don't know if you've seen any studies. I haven't, but I would love to compare the amount of women experiencing pelvic floor issues between soccer and track. Have you ever seen any comparison like that? Because I think that would be so interesting. I, I would be willing to guess that there would be less issues with soccer because of all the side to side motion and all the pivoting that's going on. So they're going to have super strong adductors. They're going to have super strong glutes. They're going to have great hip rotation strength. Versus track athletes that are running in a straight line, probably going into an anterior pelvic tilt, potentially going to be losing adductors from that, potentially not. Maybe they're going to be tight and short. Um, so it would be interesting to see if we think about when you talk about the mechanics, Jeremy, of like, how do I approach this? You know, think about the type athlete that's in front of you and then the, the imbalances that they're creating from their repetitive movements. It's funny. I did see a study out there that compared um, runners to, and I'm going to see if I can find it for you, but runners to gymnasts. Mm. And gymnasts actually had a higher rate of stress incontinence, 65 to 80%. Versus, <laughs> and they're doing, all, they're doing things all over the place, but they are still experiencing, you know, zero to 60 in like 0.5 seconds. But their, their plane of motion is often very straight. This is true. This is you know, about that. There, and it's very much anterior tilt for a lot of what they're doing, which I find that an anterior tilt, at least 
it can be twofold. You can have it both ways. But I tend to find that when somebody goes into an anterior pelvic tilt, oftentimes the front of their pelvic floor can have a little bit of laxity because it's almost like our pelvic organs are resting more on bony structure than needing muscle to support them. And then people who tend to clench into a posterior pelvic tilt can have a little bit more tone because they tend to be clenching. And that obviously that rule doesn't hold at all because there's so many exceptions. I mean, sometimes you get that posterior pelvic tilt where somebody likes to tuck under and they might be clenching more the back of their pelvic floor. And so they might be creating more of a weakness in the front, um, which can be causing the leaking. So then as soon as you get the front of the pelvic floor working, those you know muscles close to the surface, then you can um, deal with that problem. But just assessing what's going on with their pelvis, and it might be that they need to go a little bit more one way or the other um, to help make muscle structure more available to them. Right, I mean, going back to, um going back to school, really, like functional movement assessments is a great way to start, especially, Jeremy, if you have somebody, um, say, a 14-year-old girl or a collegiate athlete, depending on what your population is, you know, they come and they say, hey, you know, this is kind of something I've been dealing with, especially as of recent. Maybe they're training at a higher level than they were before mm -hmm. um, and they're accommodating somewhere. Start with the functional movement uh, uh, assessments. Um, FMTs, they're, they're great to kind of see what Sarah's saying, you know, are they pushing off correctly? Are they squatting correctly? I find the biggest, the biggest mistakes people make are in their squats, <laughs> whether it be the, the child athletes that I've worked with to the UFC fighters that I've, that I saw. I mean, it's people don't know how to squat alone. <laughs> Squatting's awful. Um, <laughs> well, squatting requires, so let's, let's backtrack that a little bit. Squatting requires lots of glute eccentric loading, right? The femur's got to move back in the socket. The glutes have to eccentrically lengthen. That takes a tremendous amount of control. Most of us are concentric people, you know? So having that eccentric length is, it can be kind of hard to come by. And so the glutes are kind of a window into our pelvic floor as well. Um, and so, when we look at that ability to squat, that could be a reflection on, you know, pelvic floor strength as well. Right. And it may or may not be, but it's a great casual, mm -hmm. if yes. anything, casual place to start. What do you do? Do you immediately yeah. on? Do you fall into a giant tilt? What's going on? What do, what do I see happening? I mean, if they go into this giant inter tilt and you watch their lower abs just like completely come out and you're like, wow, you're not really utilizing any core control, you are all paraspinals, then that's a little clue to you to be like, ah, oh, the lower abdominals fire with the front of the pelvic floor. And so that might be why they're experiencing leaking is because they just like, oh, let it go. I'm going to hang on paraspinals. And then that might be a clue. So if you could maybe cue a little bit of lower abdominal control, not enough to stop great breathe, deep breathing, of course, but just a little bit that might solve their problem during their sport. When would you say, so athletic trainers and physical therapists, there is a large overlap, I'd say, in education. Um, it's like a, one of those Venn diagrams, you know, there's, there's what we do alike, but then there's this big world that we do separately. What would you say to, and there's a lot of PTs that are ATs as well. So what mm -hmm. would you say, how would you advise a an, an athletic trainer who can do functional assessments, but that just can't seem to point trigger, find the trigger on what's causing the problem. Like at what point would you recommend them to refer to a pelvic floor PT? I think that's, you know, you don't want to give up. Yeah. You're proud of your profession, but there are some things that are. Maybe right. yeah. Well, it's going to depend on the person because I actually work with a lot of uh, personal trainers 
and they see so many clients that refuse to go to public floor PT because their problem isn't that bad. So I've spent a lot of time educating personal trainers. Well, you guys got to deal with this. You need to be educated. <laughs> I mean, it seems like only the really, you know, the people that are in a real world of hurt and it's become a serious problem will go to pelvic floor PT because it's a lot of effort. It's often out of pocket. So you might find that even if you want to refer out, uh, you might have a hard time convincing the person to go. But if you have a serious athlete, then a lot of times, you know, they'll follow your recommendation no matter what you say, because you are their guidance to staying well. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's that's a tricky one. Um, you might want to just consult with another, even athletic trainer or PT that you feel comfortable like bouncing ideas off of. Um, that can be another road without even referring out if the person is hesitant. I do um, joint appointments occasionally with professionals, even other physical therapists. Well, they'll sit there with their patient and I'll run through stuff with them and then we'll get to the bottom of what might be going on. So having somebody like you in the athletic realm where they could bounce ideas off of you, Kate, I think you know, something like that is awesome. Um, so yeah, I'm skirting your question because <laughs> I don't know an exact answer. No, I think that's perfect because there's this, I mean, there's this. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. At some point, you're going to need to, at you some point, you're going to pelvic floor PT because that's the thing is you've got pelvic floor PTs that are good and then you've got pelvic floor PTs that can deal with a very high level athlete where it's some little minutia strength and balance and is way past the obvious like they've got five out of five public floor strength they look good by all measures they've passed every test and so you've got the pelvic floor pts that are used to working with athletes and then you've just got good pelvic floor pts that help with you know postpartum rehab and things like that um so i think that's also a factor i think you need to be real careful who you refer out to because that can end up leaving uh, um you know, like not a bad feeling, but like a, why did I waste my time? Which then creates more, you, you know what I'm saying? Jeremy, have you ever had an experience where this came up or maybe have, I know you've been an athletic trainer for a while. You have athletic trainer friends. I'm not an athletic trainer. Um, and so I'm still getting to know uh, that world and what you, what your world encompasses versus PT. Um, what's your experience or what do you think the general athletic trainer population experience is? As a male working in the secondary setting, the only time I ever had students say I just peed myself was when it was one of my student trainers and she was laughing and she, you know, she was just that kind of kid where she, everything was out loud, right? <laughs> and and so, and then obviously I'm married. Uh, my wife has three kids. My mom has four kids. And so kind of having some of those conversations, my older sister has five kids, right? And so having those conversations there, but I've never had a athlete mentioned to me that they are, that they have leakage. Um, I, like I said, I have had plenty of female athletes come and said, Hey, do you have a pad? You know, and if we only have tampons or whatever, some of them say no, cause it may, maybe that's why. So their period, I don't, I don't know. I don't ask, Oh, well, you know, is it just cause you don't prefer a tampon? Does all I need to know is here's what I have. You can have it or not. Uh, and so I, I have never had this conversation with anybody. Um, as a professional well like kate was saying the stats on that i mean if you've got four girls standing in front of you one of them is having issues and you just aren't aware of it yeah that's interesting um you did mention that the four one out of four roughly for the girls but is there a statistic for males 
not my expertise. I know that, I mean, the statistics do show that women experience it more than men. And a lot of that has to do with pregnancy postpartum. Um, they're kind of all lumped together. I didn't see any studies specifically. I don't know if you did, Sarah. Um, well, I know we didn't experience it. We're looking at prostate issues too. And then, so it, you tend to get issues with older men, especially with the uh, increased rates of prostate cancer and prostate surgeries. And, you know, so you've got all of that, like, I don't know the statistics for men that don't have prostate issues. Um, so just more of your general population. All right. So if I I'm in this, in this situation um, and I have a, an athlete come say, Hey, Jackson, I'm having this issue where every time we work out hard, I'm having to go pee. Or maybe the coach says, how come every time, you know, whatever her name is, works out every time we do the the sprints she has to go to the bathroom uh so what 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 do i look for because we already talked about the stress or the urge um but what are what what might give it away without you asking because jeremy you're uncomfortable just saying that out loud to me <laughs> just asking that question okay so um what might give you a clue is like you you know your typical you know what you would say your crossfit class or your hard practice where you're everybody has to run pee right before box jumps or right before jump roping or right before oh, we're going to do sprint intervals then there's like mass exodus to the restroom before the sprint intervals so i would maybe take that population of people and i would say all right we're going to be doing these hip exercises we're going to be doing these breathing drills um and we're going to incorporate these like four things into your training program. And we're going to magically help your pelvic floor without ever telling you that we're helping your pelvic floor. So that would be what I would do. Yeah. I mean, you got to think, think about it the same. I mean, men have pelvic floors. It's just, we don't really think about men and pelvic floors. Well, I mean, younger guys generally don't have issues right. like, with the same, you know, I mean, guys are going to be stronger. You know, they tend to lift weights more. Mm -hmm. And well, women, I mean, hip structure is different. The Q angle is different. Every, men are just different structurally. Yeah. I mean, think about the ACL tears and prevalence with Q angle and hip weakness. And hip weakness is directly linked to pelvic floor issues. So. Sorry, I've forgotten about that. Yeah, I mean, that's a really huge point to make too. I mean, you're going to, you're going to see it more in female athletes. We need to be stronger as women than the males do prevent the same problems. <laughs> yes. Does that answer your question, Jeremy? Does it kind of? Yeah. I mean, like you just said there, I can, if the coach says, Hey, how come y'all are always peeing or always having to go to the bathroom before hard work? Well, coach, maybe they are having an issue with leakage and they know that this is coming up. So let's just add these things, these exercises, which I want to kind of get to some of those uh, specifically in just a second, but let's add these exercises into the routine for those ones that tend to do this. Because if those same ones are always having to go pee, maybe they're having this issue with this because it is an issue with one out of four female athletes. And let's address it without the embarrassment of them having to say, yes, I pee myself. Well, so, and the exercises that I like to use for pelvic floor issues, especially on that level, I mean, they're going to help prevent other things as well. You know, you're going to be dealing with less hip flexor strains. You're going to be dealing with less piriformis pain. You're going to be dealing with less glute media strains. I mean, you know, you're, so you're going to decrease, you know, 
hopefully ACL tears, um, increase their responsiveness on the ground. You know, I mean, so hopefully it will carry over into all other facets of athleticism as well, not just the pelvic floor. So, right, kind of touching on what you said before, like you worked on somebody's arch and it helped their pelvic floor. So it's when I think one big thing is to know, I don't really like the word normal, but to normalize incontinence. I mean, like she said, you don't really, you didn't really know how to ask the question. You just got flat out. I mean, incontinence is incontinence. It is what it is. One out of four athletes has it. To normalize the occurrence of it, I think will be, would be a great start with in the athletic population, especially just knowledge is power. Um, but also we're not going to be, when we're addressing incontinence and throwing exercises out to athletes, I don't sit there and, and, and hand them a Kegel ball or something like that. And I'm like, all right, squeeze. Like it's that that's, I think that's a wild misconception. And sometimes physical therapists, especially, you know, no offense to you or myself or anybody else, but <laughs> no offense to you, <laughs> to you. <laughs> or any other, but you chase the pain. Oh, my back hurts. Okay. Stretch your back. Well, it may not be your back. Do you well, know what I'm saying? I don't, so, I don't really feel like many physical therapists think like that, but <laughs> no. So it's, I mean, Shirley Simon was a long time ago. It's, <laughs> I have to chase pain a big way. It's definitely an older model, I'd say, to chase the pain. But but relating it back to to this, it's when we're going to concentrate on the pelvic floor, we may not be just working on the pelvic floor in these exercises. Mm -hmm. So when you you know say we're going to do things to generally prevent this or treat this, however you want to word it. We're not going to be doing Kegels. We're not going to expect the guys to do Kegels. We're all going to do hip exercises. We're all going to do. They might need to, you know, but, but I think starting with more of the hip exercises where you can naturally get your pelvic floor to contract, starting with things to release your pelvic floor some to hit all those people with tightness would also be finding balance wherever. I mean, you're not going to be able to address an entire team and necessarily fix someone's issue. Um, it's going to be very patient specific, I think. Um, I know it can be. You always have the outliers. So you can hit like the majority. I feel like you can hit the 60 to 70% without too much trouble. And then you've got those outliers that are gonna need more. Right. All right, so what are the exercises, the hip exercises that you're going to hit that 60 to 70% with? Well, so what I want to do is make sure we have hamstrings and we have adductors firing because I feel like those muscle groups are really important for pelvic positioning and your adductors come in and they're, they're an anchor to your pelvic floor. Essentially, if you look at the fascial connections, they wrap into the pelvic floor through fascia. And so I love some of the postural restoration Institute exercises for adduction and hamstrings. So I like the 90, 90 breathing and I like the PRI wall squat as well. You throw a balloon on top of that and you are getting amazing coordination with the diaphragm, pelvic floor, adductors, hamstrings. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, Ron really knows what he's doing with coordinating that system. So I want to hit something on that level. Then I want to take a look at what's going on with their glutes. So if I can get somebody doing single leg deficit hip thrust, then they're going to go a long way for pelvic floor strength, even if they have pelvic floor tightness, because we're going to work on what's causing the pelvic floor to be tight. Because usually pelvic floor tightness, um, I often find it's either a result of holding tension or a muscle around it this week. Um, and that's often the fault of the glute max. 
So then if the glute max is weak, you'll end up with deep hip rotators kind of kicking in to take over. And along with that group is your obturator. And so that those obturator muscles get um, tight, which can affect the pelvic floor. And so I love if you can get your, I mean, if we're talking somebody on an athletic level, like a single leg deficit hip thrust shouldn't be too hard, right? I mean, that, that seems kind of, you know, doable, right? Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, maybe start with double leg and maybe start with a regular hip thrust and then go to double leg deficit and then progress the single leg deficit. But that can really give you a good picture on where their hip strength is and where their stability is. If they can't do a single leg deficit hip thrust without their hip dropping or rotation or torsion or their foot turning out or, you know, you're seeing all these compensations happening, their back arching, their paraspinal is taking over. So if you can't, if you throw it in there like an assessment, well, let me just see you do this. Let me see what you look like. And you're like, whoa, you're all paraspinals. You're going into a giant anterior pelvic tilt. Your hamstrings have stopped working. Your quads are doing all the work. Your foot's turning out. So you're getting lots of tibial rotation. Like what is all that whole picture showing you on weakness and strength that they're bringing to the table? So if you have an athlete that needs to be um, dynamic and strong, um, I would say that is a good base stability uh, exercise in my book. Um, I also love single leg standing exercises. So either um, a single leg deadlift where you're working with a horizontal force. So like single leg deadlift holding a band um, horizontally, if that makes sense. Yeah, so going into that horizontal plane of motion, um, single leg deadlift. Um, I also love single leg uh, airplanes, so like warrior three pose, where you're uh, dropping here. Let me show you really quick. All right, so I'll try not to kick stand. So where you're in a single leg and you're coming down here and you're going up and then you're dropping down. So we're getting loads of length to our glutes and our deep hip rotators. And coming up and we're getting deep hip rotator tightness and glute tightness and then we're releasing that so this is really good for uh deep hip rotator tightness as well which can affect the pelvic floor and then something simple like a full squat where they're sitting in a full squat and they're breathing down into their back and their pelvic floor um i'm gonna tilt this down really quick we'll just have a working interview here where you can have them sit on like a yoga block hug their knees big breath in Get a good stretch in their back, feel the breath go all the way down into their bum, and you can get a great release that way, especially if somebody has posterior pelvic floor tightness. So you're squishing the front of the chest so they're not getting air release there. And if you hug your knees really tightly, then you won't get upper trap, upper breathing as well. So those are just a couple of them that I would just throw at somebody just to stay healthy, depending on what level they're at. And then obviously you're going to want to get sport specific. I find the warm up can make a really big difference. So like if you've got a dynamic athlete versus an endurance athlete, um, you're going to want to warm up a little bit differently. Like if somebody's got to move a lot of power, then I'm going to warm want to warm up with something a little bit more dynamic power based. Obviously, I mean, you guys know all that. Um, so, yeah, so that would be I would I would overload the pelvic floor, um, lengthen it, make it contract. You know, those airplanes that I did, those are amazing for getting natural pelvic floor, both length and strength. And that, that one exercise you just did, you said that was called the warrior three pose? I mean, it's a variation of a yoga 
like, you know, you go into warrior, like warrior one, warrior two, warrior three. I'm not a huge yogi person, so <laughs> I'm probably murdering that, but I'm just trying to give a little credit to <laughs> where I picked it up from. It was in a yoga class and I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm totally taking this. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big yogi either. I do it once in a while to keep me in good health, but I don't know all the positions and whatnot. I mean, it's, it's like a, a single leg stance bent over, <laughs> like you can, you can go into but yeah, I mean, how can we put our deep hip rotators in a maximally lengthened position? All right, let me bend to 90 degrees and then let me go into internal rotation. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. And then let me load it by holding it with my body weight instead of a passive stretch, like a pigeon stretch. So on that, we have kids that can't do a, like a single leg deadlift without rotating uh, themselves. So I know Sophia's had them put like a foam roller between their hand and their foot that they're kicking back to help keep them from rotating internally or externally like you were just showing. Um, and, and so in that situation, <laughs> do we need to allow them to, to learn the single leg deadlift straight okay. and then, yeah. then we can include those other internal external rotations? And I love, you know, you add that band and you add that horizontal force, you get their abs to turn a little bit more. That's going to give them a little bit more pelvic stability, which can add another element, which can be really good depending on what they need. Um, so I like things that are movement based, but yeah, you've, you've got to meet the athlete where they're at. Um, even if they don't particularly like that, <laughs> I have a lot of people that do not like how much I have to regress them to be able to, uh, keep the cheaters at bay. I mean, if you were to throw that single leg deficit hip thrust at somebody and all they did was use their paraspinals and their quads, like there's no point in doing the exercise. They're just reinforcing all their cheaters and the things that are probably causing them to leak to begin with because they're a quad dominant paraspinal monster, you know, so. And, and you bring up a good point. I think the biggest <laughs> argument or pushback I get from when I see athletes versus um, postpartum or something like that mm -hmm. is they don't want to do breathing. They don't want to sit and stretch. They don't want to balance. They don't want to do those things because they are so used to doing high level, but it's like doing work on a broken pencil. Eventually something's going to give. And so, I mean, you can, you can still make them feel like they're doing a workout, but it is very important to, to describe to these athletes, the, the basis, the structure, the, um, the chassis under the car, like you, you need to make sure that they have a good, um, functional base before they can go back to, you know, wherever they're going before, or at the same time, you can co-train, you can do cross training like that. You don't have to, I, I try not to tell people to quit doing their sport. Cause that just makes them really unhappy. <laughs> just add these in please <laughs> we have to play catch up <laughs> we gotta catch these muscle groups up i mean if you can't do a single leg deadlift with stability don't run <laughs> i can't like the amount of other injuries they're gonna have if they don't already have them scares me from a physical therapy standpoint <laughs> Right. Gosh, especially the post. I mean, that we'll, we won't talk about that today, next week, but postpartum, especially have like you just, have pain. How have they not torn their ACL? How do they have pure formis not kill them? I mean, no, how, no. How, are, how is their TFL not just on fire and super tight all the time? So talking yet, yeah, definitely something important Jeremy, <laughs> to talk to your athletes about is the importance of these, these um, ex accessories, these um, base support um, movements and muscles and things that kind of give, give, give strength to everything else, give strength and balance to everything else that they are doing. 
Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Well, very prevention. I mean, when you look at like, you look at a financial portfolio, if you get something slightly more conservative, so you don't have these huge dips and big gains, you actually gain more in the end than if you have like, you know, the steady progress. And that's where athletes are like, oh, I want to go harder. I want to do more. But it's like, if we can keep you from getting hurt at the end of the year, the amount of progress you're going to be able to make because you stayed injury free is going to be so much more exponentially better than if we had to deal with, you know, one, two, three injuries throughout the year where you actually had to take time off from your training because you were hurt. Right. And the lumbo, uh, the lumbo pelvic hip complex, all of that is so important for general movement, not just the pelvic floor and prevention of incontinence, but you can throw that in there. Try <laughs> right. having a hamstring strain and seeing how your life feels. <laughs> we lost Kate. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I want to, again, be respectful of your time. And so we've, we've talked a lot about, well, we've talked a lot. And so there's, there's a lot of great information and you, you've mentioned, um, you know, starting where they are, you gotta, you gotta, you can address these issues without specifically saying, Hey, you got PP problems. Let's single you out. But like, Hey <laughs> coach, we've got a team full of 20 girls, 15 of them are, you know, 15, 15 of them might not be struggling with them with this, but five of them, might be struggling with this. So this is something that's going to benefit everybody in general. Let's go ahead and add in these exercises here and then maybe it solves that for them. And then if it continues to be an issue, then look at all the other things, like you said, the arch, or it could be any of those other issues, just watching them squat or doing those other functional movement screens. And then, uh, if you feel like it's still an issue and you can't, um, can't, can't come to another solution, then refer out to a, uh, a solid pelvic floor physical therapist, which I do have one question about how do we find that person? How do we get that trusted person? But, um, but then after you refer out, then just reinforcing what they're doing there, uh, asking them those questions and then continuing to learn. So does that kind of summarize everything we've talked about here? I think so. Yeah. Um, so how you find that person is usually um, referral <laughs> from word of mouth <laughs> is uh, one of the best ways. So asking around because um, if somebody's had experience with somebody good, uh, then that would be the fastest way. You can just Google in your town like pelvic floor PT and they will pop up on the map and then you can go on their website and you can read bios and philosophies. A lot of people have blogs. You can see training. I really like training in orthopedics as well as pelvic floor for when you, when it comes to working with athletes, I think is when that matters the most. Um, Cause we're looking at the whole, you know, kinetic chain a little bit more, but I feel like the pelvic floor PT programs have also come a long way in the last few years as well for incorporating kinetic chain more so than they used to. Kate, you're talking about like old mindset. I think the old mindset, mindset. Around, not new mindset. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, mindset. I think the whole mindset around the pelvic floor is changing as well. So, um, so yeah, so look for somebody who's got great experience that's used to working with athletes or maybe somebody who's a little new. It might be worth just try. The more you know, the more you can say, hey, can we grab coffee, have a conversation, and I'm going to be able to tell whether or not you you would feel comfortable working with this population. Um, you know, like, how are you going to troubleshoot hang cleans? Let's talk through that. <laughs> and if they go, what's a hang clean? Then you might want to say, okay, I might try somebody else, you know? Um, There's but also a, um, I know I used to work with the APTA and the CPTA, but I know that there is a public resource on the APTA website where, yeah, 
Right. There's a directory and that doesn't list everybody that doesn't necessarily, it's not a hierarchy or anything like that. It's just those who have registered those or mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a one-stop shop basically for women's health, pelvic floor PTs um, or women's clinics, things like that. Um, but Google, I mean, well, if you're looking for somebody close to you, that's within a 30 minute driving distance or something, then Google will usually just pop it up. Google will be your, probably your quickest bet. Um, (laughs) the ABTA did upgrade their website a little bit. So it shows you in your area. Um, but I mean, you could always just ask around too. talk to your doctor, talk to the other athletic trainers you work with, talk to your other coaches, um, talk to your primary care, see who, you know, um, even as a male, like who's your primary care? Maybe they know somebody. I'm sure they see women's patients. Um, well, I think selling it as you're going to be a better athlete because we're going to make sure that we, you know, keep you injury free. And this can be a symptom of a weakness that could actually be coming out in, you know, like power leaks places where you're not living up to your full potential, I guess. You know, you talk in the athlete's language of like, I'm going to make you faster. I'm going to make you stronger. I'm going to be able to make you go harder. And then they're like, yes, what do you want me to do? Perfect way to put it. If they're, you're looking at their body as a whole. You're not necessarily just singling out. They probably don't care about the pad. You know, they're probably like, yeah, I'll just wear pads. It's fine. I, I don't want to. But if you say, I'm going to make you more powerful, that's a whole nother ball game. All right. So multiple times, Kate has mentioned the course that she's taken from you, Dr. Sarah Duvall. So Kate, just real quick, why should somebody take this course from Dr. Sarah Duvall? So I'm going to come from as much of a non-biased standpoint as possible. Um, But I personally took the course because I wanted to know more about my body, but also because I wanted to help my patients in um, a more well-rounded way. I started to see more and more incontinence and I, I used to work with more athletes than I do now more. Now I work with more of the post pre uh, pregnancy and postpartum. Um, but it taught me so much about how the pelvic floor is connected to the rest of the body, which I know I mentioned Thomas Myers, kinetic chains and, and fascia. Um, it blew my mind the amount that I didn't know, um, oh, such awesome. as how, yeah, like even the arch, like I know that I can work on somebody, I can do an occipital release to help with someone's plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think that the arch would, ha- I just didn't make that connection, that pelvic floor connection, because it's just, it's not something that's mentioned or talked about. You know what I mean? And I think that it not only normalized my view on things, but it made me more comfortable helping others. And it gave me a, war- a more well-rounded aspect of the body itself, even for my non-pelvic floor specific patients. It's, it's a piece of the mighty body puzzle. And her course really goes into, yes, it goes into a lot on the pregnancy and postpartum, but I guarantee, especially if you are working with collegiate or higher athletes, you're going to come across someone who has been pregnant or has, has experienced incontinence in some way, shape or form. And a lot of her course doesn't necessarily specifically talk about pregnant and postpartum. It talks about the muscles, the the everything that comes together with the body to support the pelvic floor and vice versa. So, I mean, I really would recommend that to anyone, whether you're a personal trainer, whether you are a physical therapist, a PTA, I'm both, uh, an athletic trainer. Um, it, it Knowledge is power. And I know that's so cliche, but her course really gave me eye-opening, um, eye-opening knowledge on how to treat my patients better and to treat my body better. Um, so I think that's the, the biggest thing that I can say is just, you're going to have a more well-rounded aspect of the human body itself. 
this wasn't this isn't like a sponsored deal this is just you know <laughs> Sarah like Kate, Kate's been talking about it talking about it, talking about it so I figured if she's learned a whole lot and I'm you know Sarah's obviously given us tons of knowledge uh, so feel free to check it out Sarah if someone wants to check out your course or wants to get a hold of you what's going to be the best way to do that um, coreexercisesolutions.com. There is an email link on the website. There is information about the course. And if you click on the articles page, you will be there for like a week reading free information. <laughs> so I highly recommend that because you might just be able to scan it and be like, ah, question answered. Um, just straight from that articles page. All right. So coreexercisesolutions.com, coreexercisesolutions.com. Or you can Google Sarah Duvall. PT or Sarah Duvall pelvic floor. And those are going to pop up. That's, that's what I did whenever uh, Kate recommended her. And so if you can't remember core exercise solutions, yeah, it's Sarah Duvall. you probably yeah. don't even need PT. I don't think there's too many Sarah Duvall's out there. So, yeah. so <laughs> I'll have links to those, in the show notes, but just in case you, you need to get that information now, then there you go. All right, Kate, someone wants to get a hold of you. How are they going to do that? Um, the best way to get a hold of me is via email. I'd say I check that most often. Um, I'm going to give my, uh, my both my personal and professional email. So if you have even a lot of more personal questions or one-on-one -on -one questions, katenono at gmail.com, K-A-T-E-N-O-N-O -N -O at gmail.com is going to be your best bet. Um, if you have questions on um, more, of, more courses, online courses, things like that, you're going to want to reach me on my professional email, but um, it's Kate dot miller at fab dash ent.com but honestly either one is completely fine and i'll help you out all right and then if you want to go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash incontinence that'll be this that's where i'll have show notes there and also in the next episode, we're going to be talking about pregnancy and athletic training. So we're focusing on pregnant athletic trainers or ath the professionals, the clinicians, and not the athletes themselves. So we're focusing on that with uh, Kate. But she has a, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but there's a discount code for the podcast listeners. So if you go to feiretail.com and enter Aloha25, you can get 25% off the courses there and again i'll have the links to that so if you want to check out that stuff and kate will talk more about that next week but i want to yeah. make sure we mention it there yeah. and the the fei retail is more products so exercise products bands or things like that that sarah talked about maybe using during some of the exercises that she she mentioned that's where that would be um and then the courses we'll definitely talk about next week all right again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash incontinence dr sarah duvall Kate Miller and Jeremy Jackson for the Sports Medicine Broadcast. That is a wrap. Thanks.